Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends, today is a good day. Any day that we get to sing the Navy hymn is a good day, in my opinion. And that will be our sending song today at the end of worship. Eternal Father, strong to save. It's a very fine hymn with a very interesting history. If you like the internet, you should check out the Wikipedia article. William Whiting, who wrote the words, wrote them for a young man, a student of his, I guess a teenager who was about to cross the Atlantic Ocean to America and who was terrified of being on a boat at sea in the 1850s. Whiting himself had nearly lost his own life on a boat at sea. And so he was sympathetic to that phobia. It's a pleasant surprise that um, a poem that was really written just one friend to another rapidly was published in a hymn collection and inspired a great musical tune, Melita, and became the hymn for the navies on both sides of the Atlantic, the U.S. Navy and the United Kingdom's Royal Navy. Our hymnal version is almost verbatim the original words, published in 1860. No stanzas have been added, no stanzas have been removed. For a song that has become so popular, it is a decidedly churchly hymn. It is on its face a hymn to the Holy Trinity. It's a very orderly prayer. I mean, Lutherans can sing this because it's in good order. It prays first to God the Father for the safety of those on the ocean. It prays next to God the Son for the safety of those on the ocean. Third, it prays to God the Holy Spirit for the safety of those on the ocean. And then in its final stanza, it asks the Trinity to protect all travelers so that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit may be eternally praised by choirs of voices on both sea and land. It has echoes of the Psalms in its structure, but its content is based mainly on the gospel stories like the one we just read, and above all, on the creation story in Genesis. And in a perfect gesture, the tune which was written to accompany this poem was named Melita, which is Malta, an island where the Apostle Paul was shipwrecked in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. So, if you are looking for a hymn that is Christian, 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 on the top, on the bottom, and on all the sides, then you have found it when you encounter Eternal Father Strong to Save. I've said this too many times in this pulpit, but I will say it again. You and I here in the 21st century have no easy way to grasp how scary bodies of water were to the people who wrote the Bible. 
Rivers, lakes, seas, and oceans were simply terrifying in a way that we have a difficulty imagining. The closest thing that you and I have today is outer space. Outer space is, is vast. You cannot survive there. When I, was, when I was young, a movie came out called Alien, and it said, in space, no one can hear you scream. That was its advertised on the poster. You can't survive in space. It may be filled with monsters, and it is incomprehensibly big and incomprehensibly old, so big and old that we cannot imagine that it has boundaries or that it ever could have been created. That is what water was like for the people who wrote the Bible. Um, it, 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 and, and it's a good analogy, except for us, we are not about to accidentally fall into outer space and die. It takes a vast amount of effort to actually get to outer space, so we're not likely to ever experience that. So when the hymn, Eternal Father, Strong to Save, says in the first stanza that the Creator appointed the limits of the oceans. That's a reference to Psalm 104, that God establishes the boundaries of the ocean. And that is analogous to our saying that God created the big boom and God knows the boundaries of the cosmos. We have some knowledge about water and how scary it can be, even even we desert dwellers have it drilled into us that we can lose control of our cars in how many inches of moving water? Six inches of moving water. Did your alarm, did your, I got a new smartphone eight months ago. Does it, did yours go off at like 2 a.m. this morning? Yeah. Twice, yeah, thank you. It has to go once for the flash flood warning and then once for the thunderstorm warning to, just to make sure I don't sleep before preaching a sermon. So, um, Six inches of moving water can make you lose control of your car. Um, we know that. I've been caught in a rip current in the Pacific Ocean. Really scary. One of the scariest things that ever happened to me. So I understand the power of water in nature. We, we know, unfortunately, we know that waterboarding is a form of torture that creates the sensation of drowning. And that sensation is so cruel that it is illegal. So deep in our bones, deep in our DNA, we have a very primitive fear of water. Yet water is necessary to live. Before we are born, we sort of float in the womb. That's kind of the, how I'm, that's how I remember it anyway. I was like floating around, <laughs> hooked up with everything I needed. And we love baths, and we love swimming pools and jacuzzis, most of us. So water is this very nurturing and life-giving thing celebrated in the sacrament of holy baptism. But water is also dangerous and indifferent to human life, as the Bible abundantly illustrates in stories like the parting of the Red Sea and the unparting of the Red Sea, which destroyed Pharaoh's armies, and in the story of Noah and in the story of Jonah. Water destroys and annihilates it gives life, but it destroys and it annihilates. So the Bible is eager to demonstrate that God has control over water. Because it's the most, for them, the people who wrote the Bible, it was the scariest and most powerful force known. 
And as the hymn that we will sing at the end makes clear, God the Father has mastery over the waters. God the Son has mastery over the waters. God the Holy Spirit has mastery over the waters. And that is demonstrated in this gospel reading today, in which Jesus is as untroubled by the sea storm as the sea storm is untroubled by those poor disciples in the boat. The story today is special and intriguing because it is a Peter story. Matthew's gospel, the gospel we are journeying through this year, Matthew's gospel has a special focus on Peter. Matthew is about Jesus primarily, but then a distant second, it's about Peter. And so although all the other Gospels talk about Jesus walking on the water, and although the other Gospels talk about Jesus calming the storm, only in Matthew do we get this compelling story of Peter stepping out of the boat and beginning to walk, but then losing his nerve, being seized by fear, and beginning to sink. Two weeks from now, two chapters from now here, we reach the part of Matthew where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that is the center of Matthew's gospel, the pivot point in the story, as Matthew intended. He, Matthew, is very focused on Peter, and Peter, who sort of represents all Christians, but in Matthew's gospel, Peter sort of represents church authorities as well. Peter is always sort of a leader, sort of an initiative taker, but he is always flawed. In the Roman Catholic Church, Peter is considered the first pope, the anchor of church authority, the leader of the leaders, the priest who is at the head of the priesthood. And that notion is based on Matthew's gospel, purely on Matthew's gospel, where Jesus gives Peter his name, the rock. I can't wait to preach on this two weeks from now because I'm going to somehow bring in Dwayne Johnson, the rock. Do you know who that is? <laughs> you think Dwayne Johnson is the rock. Jesus has got a new rock, Peter. The rock upon which Jesus will build a church. The great hidden theme of Matthew's gospel, the great genius of its composition, is precisely about leadership in the church. The le that leaders are important and we must follow them and yet they are always flawed. And Jesus is always superior to the church's leadership. Matthew's gospel is a very comprehensive statement, if you know how to read it, about leadership and authority. It is the only book in the Bible cited in our congregation's constitution because it is precisely concerned with the authority of leadership and the limitations of leadership. So kind of as a component of Matthew's focus upon Peter, Matthew ends up giving us this wonderful story of wanting to obey Jesus, wanting to follow Jesus, but being overcome by fear. And then Jesus, it says, catching Peter by the hand, catching us by the hand and pulling us into his safety. It's a, it's a very lovely and compelling and favorite story because it's in a lot of stained glass. Um, and every fisherman, the patron saint of fishermen's is St. Peter's, and every time you go to the beach and there's a church, it's St. Peter's. It's a story that invites us to meditate upon God and the fears which prevent us from doing and living as God intends. 
So whether we are like that young man who was setting sail for America and was afraid to cross the ocean and triggered a great hymn for us, for us all, or whether we are like Peter trying to follow Jesus, trying to show some initiative, or whether we are like the disciples staying hunkered down in the boat to survive, or whatever you might be facing in your life or in your work or in your hopes. The message of Jesus in today's gospel speaks loudly and clearly. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Amen. Amen.